Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Well, hello everybody. This is Sandy, and I am the founder and the chief love officer at Last First Date. I love helping women and some men achieve healthy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. We have a fabulous show coming up for you today. I'm going to be speaking with Mark Michaels and Patricia Johnson, who are co-authors of Designer Relationships. They are also a married couple, and we're going to be speaking about relationships uh, in the modern age, in the sexual revolution. As a dating coach, I specialize in helping women over 40 date as the high-value women that they are in every other part of their lives because when somebody knows their true worth, they attract their most aligned partner. And um, I just actually um, was on the phone this morning with a coaching client who told me that she came to me for dating help, but what she really walked away with was learning to value herself and be more of a high-value woman and it really is much more than just dating advice. The work that I do is really about um, owning your value, about stepping into your highest potential, because the higher your potential, the better match you're going to have with somebody of high potential and high value as well. Um, so I just want to quickly direct you to my homepage, lastfirstdate.com, um, where you can pick up a copy of a free guide that I created um, that will help men and women to stop making the most common mistakes that people make in dating. There are some mistakes that it's very hard to see when it's you dating, um, that you can be doing things that sabotage your success in dating and relationships. And I give very actionable tips to you could, so you can turn things around and really attract love into your life. So please go to lastfirstdate.com and sign up on my homepage because I want you to go on your last first date. Mark A. Michaels and Patricia Johnson are co-authors of Designer Relationships. They're also a devoted married couple. They've been creative collaborators since 1999, and their critically acclaimed titles have garnered numerous awards. Michaels and Johnson are the authors of Partners in Passion, which they talked about on a previous show here at Last First Date Radio, and Great Sex Made Simple, Tantra for Erotic Empowerment, and The Essence of Tantric Sexuality. They are prolific writers, and I have to say my hat's off to them because I still haven't completed my first book. They're also the creators of the meditation CD set, Ananda Nidra, Blissful Sleep, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, welcome to the show, Mike, Mark and Patricia. Michael. Hi, sir. thanks for having me. Hi, it's great to be <laughs> Mark back. Mark Michaels. <laughs> Good to have you back. I'm confusing Michael and Mark. Do people do that a lot? Yeah, ever since I was a kid, I'm totally used to it. At this point. <laughs> okay, good. It's hard to have two two first names. Um, so let's talk about the sexual revolution that you, you speak about in your book. Can you talk about what that means, this new sexual revolution that we're in the midst of? Yeah, I think, I mean, we may have to jump back about 40 or 50 years to start and talk about the first one for a moment, you know, or maybe not the first one, but the, the first one in our real lifetimes. 
And of course, at that time, you know, um, divorce became more uh, accessible legally and more culturally accepted, and birth control also became readily available. So that led to a real kind of, among, you know, other things that were happening during that time, but a real change in the way people started thinking about sexuality. And monogamy, as had been practiced by our grandparents, you know, that idea of one, one partner for life, really kind of was no longer the norm in the culture. And the roots were like the beginnings, these roots were the beginnings of the uh, women's rights movement. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so that's kind of the background. What we're talking about as the new sexual revolution is really something that's, that's been happening in the last decade or so. And if you, if you just jump back 10 years and you think, could we have imagined that marriage equality would be the law of the land, you know, 10 years ago? I, I think probably most of us would have said, no, it's much further off than that. And, you know, and similarly, Time Magazine, you know, had Laverne Cox on the cover and talked about transgender rights as the next civil civil rights movement. Again, I think something that would have been a a big, big surprise to people a decade ago. And recent polls are showing a growing, uh, actually, it's a stunning uh, increase in acceptance of alternative relationship styles, um, more pointedly polyamory or um, but, well, both. there was a Gallup poll that, that referred to polygamy, which typically refers to one man and multiple, uh, multiple women partners in, in common, common usage. And that number went from uh, acceptance of polygamy went from 7 to 16% between 2001 and 2015. YouGov did a poll more recently even than Gallup, which doesn't have a prior one to compare it to, but they used the word polyamory. And they found that I think it was 28% of the public thinks that polyamory is is okay. So what all this means is the, this these current trends is it's just opening up the possibility for people to sit down um, with the people they're in love with and have an open, honest conversation and examine all the alternatives more freely and land on the relationship style that works best for them. Mhm. You know, it's interesting. Um again, I was t- speaking about a client um earlier and the one I was speaking to this morning, she happened to mention that a man she was dating who is a uh, pretty strict um Catholic is saying that he wants to wait for sex until marriage, which is really interesting for somebody in their 60s. Um and while you can respect somebody's wishes, you know, she's she's a Catholic herself, and she is a pretty religious person, but she said, you know, I don't think I want to be in a relationship with somebody who's closed off to um, having premarital sex, or, um, you know, I don't even know if I want to marry again. And so this, this comes up a lot with the people in my, in my demographic that I work with, um, people over 40, 50, 60, who are kind of designing their own relationships also, and we we had a conversation about that. What does it look like to you? What is what does your future relationship look like? So, so let's talk about designer relationships because that is the topic of your book. What what is a designer relationship? Well, a designer relationship is is it can take any number of different forms. We're 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 really not about advocating that there's one right way. What designer relationships have in common 
is a quality in which they are chosen, they're discussed, they're, they're transparent, and they're arrived at mutually. So you may decide to be monogamous, but if you're going to make that decision, really make it. Don't just enter into it with a set of tacit assumptions about what it means. So what we've done in designer relationships is given instructions on how to have those conversations. So not telling you how to have your relationship, but how to have those conversations so you can arrive at a mutually fulfilling relationship structure. Mm-hmm. Or so if you, you really prefer... Of- I'm sorry, well, just, go ahead. Just for, just for a second, if um, Patricia, if you could give an example of how that relation, that conversation might go. <laughs> well, first of all, we recommend that people sit down and really examine what they currently and in the present enjoy most and really get define that and have discussions about what they love about being with their beloved. I think far too often people sit and think about relationship styles and then they sit down and then start talking about something that may not look like what is currently happening and that can be so threatening to the partner. I think in addition to that, at at whatever stage of the relationship, I think people, the conversation is is one that is an ongoing one. Relationships aren't etched in stone, you know, you, you don't, you don't get into a relationship and have it just become this static thing. So it's really important at all stages to, to have conversations, for example, about what it means to, ha- to be faithful to someone, what it, what, how you understand cheating. Um, because for some people, cheating may be just fantasizing about somebody else. Another real interesting question to define is what is sex? Because you mentioned your client earlier having a boyfriend that says he wants to wait for for sex, for marriage. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean to him? Is that I'm not, I don't want to cuddle. I don't want to, um, you know, make out with you. I don't want to have oral sex. You know, like those are all. Or what? How is? How do they both define sexual interactions? Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. we don't really have. We don't have a universally agreed upon meanings about so many things, cheating, sex, monogamy, all of these things people think we understand each other when we're talking about it, but often we don't. I think that's like if you look at the Ashley Madison thing, basically in that situation, there were very, very few people who actually met anyone through that site and very, very few people actually chatted with a real person either. It was a lot of bots. So is it cheating if you put your profile on a website and maybe have an online chat with a bot? I don't know the answer to that, but you know, we may have many different ones. Yeah, and these are questions we encourage um, everyone to have or, and to answer for one another. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk also about emotional affairs. And I think with the social media um, being so prevalent today that people connect with old flames through Facebook or, you know, in other ways that you can have a really intimate relationship with somebody without ever seeing them. Um, and I remember years ago I had a friend who she had actually had a physical affair, a sexual affair with a man um, during her marriage, and <clears throat> and she told me about it, and then she got really mad when her husband had an emotional affair. She was like, how could he dare do this? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you did something too. Like, what? And, but for a lot of people, 
that emotional affair is worse. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I, mean, I don't know if you um, well, go into detail about that in the book. Yeah, we we actually go into, we talk about um, the, I think it relates to the topic of four different types of monogamy. So you have sexual monogamy, emotional monogamy, social monogamy, and... Practical monogamy. So sexual monogamy kind of speaks for itself, although even there, you know, people may have some different definitions about what constitutes a sexual transgression. Emotional monogamy really refers to that kind of pair bonding. But even within the emotional monogamy, I mean, there may be some kinds of emotional closeness that are okay and others that are not. For and the line of where the affair is is very hard to draw. Right. And for instance, mm-hmm. I think it's more uh, acceptable for heterosexual couples to have homosocial relationships where, where they have deep, deep emotional bonds with friends and engage mm-hmm. in, you know, very important activities with their f- friends, and that's another level. So then there's social social monogamy, which really is, you know, who you spend most of your time with, and that's sort of Patricia was, was kind of bridging into that. So it may be okay for you to hang out with, you know, a friend of the same sex, um, and you may actually be more sort of socially bonded with that person than, than with, you know, than with your spouse even. I mean, we know people who, are, who really are more socially bonded outside of their marriages. And then finally, the practical monogamy is who you live with and, mm-hmm. you know, what your, what your life structure is. Now, there's no one way to prioritize these things, and it's up to each person to realize that, um, you know, what is okay and what's not okay for them. I w- I'm curious as to if your friend ever had this conversation with her husband about, I mean, was the affair ever um, brought out into the open or both either one, the emotional or the physical? I'm not sure if her physical affair was ever known to him, but um, I know that she just got mad at him, and she gets mad at him a lot, and I'm actually surprised they're still married because they really have so many issues. And um, and part of it is just like I hear a lot of contempt, and I've said that to her. You know, it sounds like you're really contemptful of the things that your husband does, and it's not healthy to have contempt well, yeah, for somebody, that's, that's, you know? That's... That'll erode a relationship very quickly, but um, absolutely, surprisingly, um, spite can hold together couples far better than love. Love is like a process, and it it really you know takes active engagement and nurturing from all parties. But spite, you can sit and brood on yourself and not actively you know just sort of nurture it privately, and and really you see long term marriages based on spite and contempt. Mm-hmm. I, sadly, so. Yeah, that's a lot of what I saw modeled and a lot of other people have and it is unfortunate because love does take does take work. Um but I but you know, there is there is a basis for love and, and it has to be nurtured. But I love the message that you keep giving, which is be open, be communicative, talk about what you both want because you you've gotta be able to do that. I mean that's something I tell my clients all the time. Don't don't make assumptions. Um, find out, do you have the same view on all of these things? So, you know, whether it's sex or the way you see religion or the way you see politics, you want to be able to talk about it um, because somebody may sound like they they have the same way of doing something, but unless it's really discussed, you don't know. 
And I want to point out to your listeners that sometimes when you find um, different opinions about a topic, that can be really juicy and amazing opportunity to really have in-depth conversations where uh, the more progressive one of you might discover a way that they can be slower and the uh, more conservative person can figure out ways that they can, you know, take a step forward and find that common ground. And that's that's how relating happens. Um, you don't want to be with someone who totally agrees with you 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yes. that's, yeah, <laughs> that's boring. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, I mean, the polarity in a relationship comes from differences. Um, you have to have similarities, but you definitely have to have differences. That creates excitement and and growth. Um, Mystery. So, yeah, exactly. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people think, oh, we have to have all the same feelings and all the same everything. And, um, you know, core values, yeah, um, but different ways of looking at things are also okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about these alternative relationships. And um, so how might some of them look? Uh, well, I mean, one of the ones that's getting a great deal of media now nowadays is polyamory, uh, mm-hmm. which polyamory is a term that was coined in the early 90s, and it refers, it combines Greek and Latin, and it refers to loving many. And there are many, many different kinds of polyamorous relationship structures, but the implication of the term is that you're at least open to loving more than one person. Another um, community that is now finally getting some recognition is those who choose to be single by choice. So they may have um, a variety of lovers or, or, you know, if they travel a lot, they see someone in a certain city, but they, you know, are content and much more happier to have their own home and their own lifestyle. And um, that is really... Um, almost stigmatized in our society. Still, yeah. I mean, there mm-hmm. still is really a stigma around being single. Um, and choosing to yeah. be single, I think, is looked at as, in many quarters as being kind of a sign of immaturity. And it may not be that. It may just be really being happy on your own. Another way, it might be couples that are in love but not sexual together. So uh, we know of couples that have had long-term relationships, but uh, they're of different sexual orientations. So they they love being together. They maintain a household, but see no need to have their sexual activity or sexual sexuality, um, you know, engaged among each other. Mm-hmm. So you're um, saying they have sex outside of the marriage with other people but not with each other? Or they may not be married, but they may be in an emotionally committed kind of partnership, and but they, they mm-hmm. find their sexual sexual outlets elsewhere. Um, we've known okay. we've known people like that, I've, you know, relatives who've, who've had those kinds of arrangements. It's not, not nearly as uncommon as people might think. Um, there's also there are also people who who are getting a little bit more attention nowadays than they used to, who identify as being asexual, and so they may have relationships where they don't have sex, but they have emotional and affectionate bonds with with other with another person or with other people. Another another example, which is kind of common as well, would be people who who um, identify as swingers who have more uh, recreational sex with other people that really prioritize their pair bondedness. 
And then, of course, we also include monogamous people, people who are really choosing to be exclusive with one another and have all four or three of those four aspects of monogamy as central and who who are living, you know, may, what may appear to be completely conventional kinds of lives. So the key difference between a uh, designer relationship that is monogamous and what we consider uh, the default monogamy is that there's consciousness and all relationship styles could be discussed and put on the table. And um, and they've um, the it's a decision. And it's the couples say, yeah, I know we have all this, time, but this is what makes me happiest. And the, yeah, that's what makes me happiest. Um, yeah. Our main critique is of this uh, default monogamy, where um, no one's really defined it. They've signed a contract. No one's discussed the terms for a lifetime, and it's sort of expected that the partners intuit what this. Hugely important life decision means. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what we're, our critique is about. It's much more important than accepting the terms of service on your internet provider. You know, you really do want to read yeah. the fine print. Exactly right. Yeah, and I think you know this is such a huge decision um, to partner with somebody, and people often don't put in very much time or effort to prepare for it. But um, something that you just said about the um, the consciousness and, and the way that people signed a contract when they're not conscious. And I'm thinking of this same couple that I was just talking about with the physical affair and the emotional affair. He comes from a background of a terribly contentious divorce um, when he was young. And his motto and his, you know, I will never get divorced. And there are a lot of people who walk around with that, like that's a virtue. I will never get divorced, but I'll stay in this marriage and, really not pay attention to my wife or my husband and you know and it's okay for me to just cheat on them and do all this because I will never get divorced and that's that's like virtuous and I, wow. I find that to be really troubling but I've seen this in probably at least three couples that's interesting so I'm not going to I'm not going to leave you but I'm really not going to be here either <laughs> that's exactly. what it sounds like yeah yeah, because I just I believe in marriage, but not really. <laughs> um, not with you, sort of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because wow. I really don't believe in divorce. I think that's it. It's that fear of divorce, um, but it it doesn't stop them from you know really making sure that their marriage stays whole. Um, so that's that's the argument that this couple has. It's the wife is saying, well, if you really believe in marriage, then why aren't you working on our marriage? You know, that's it's not enough just. Day, I'm never going to get divorced because that doesn't work for her anymore. No, so and he doesn't you know, have ultimate couple. control over that either. Right? I mean, there's another no, person involved. No, he doesn't. Involved. Exactly, exactly. So, so let's talk a little bit about the success rates uh, of these kinds of relationships compared to the traditional relationship. Is there a difference that you're seeing in in how successful they are? There's, there's not really good data as far as we're aware on, on divorce and breakup rates, but in terms of satisfaction, there has been research done both on, on polyamorous uh, couples, actually in, in this case of polyamorous couples, I believe over 55 or 60, and also on swingers. And in both of these studies, they generally show that there's higher relationship satisfaction, higher life satisfaction uh, among the people who are in, in non-monogamous relationships than among 
people identify as being monogamous. No, I think it's easy for people to look at those studies and think, oh, well, these these couples are just having more sex. That's why they're happier. But really <sighs> the underlying reason they're happier is because of how the amount of communication it requires and understanding and checking in to be successful in these lifestyles really leads to an overall way of relating in your entire relationship, like a, a good practices or a good practice. Mm-hmm. I think another piece of it that, that may come as a surprise to the audience is that I, a big factor in this, in this level of satisfaction is that women are happier in these relationships. Um, and the, the relationships seem to be more egalitarian than, than sort of mainstream relationships are. Uh, in the swinging community, women really have, you know, kind of the, the power, uh, certainly the, the power to decide what's going to happen or whether something will happen. And the study on polyamory showed a somewhat higher level of satisfaction among women as well, although the reasons maybe were not as, not explored as fully. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so let's talk about when there are kids involved and whether they're young kids or adult children um, how do children see these kinds of relationships when their parents are involved in these kinds of um, alternative relationships? It's exciting because we're starting to see a generation um, come through uh, some of our our circles who who were raised in an open you know with parents that were open had an open relationship and that's it's really kind of exciting to see them coming of age. Um, yeah, so anecdotally, you know, from what we've seen, there's there's certainly um, Kids coming out of these homes are are doing just as well as as maybe better than kids who come out of monogamous homes. And again, the the research on it shows that there's really ultimately very little difference, and that there may be there may be certain advantages and certain disadvantages to a more open structure. But it's it's by no means uh, going to be harmful by its nature to kids. And I think that like there's a, a mainstream culture assumption about this that it's going to be damaging for children and, and almost that the parents who have, who are non-monogamous are going to be sort of flaunting, <laughs> flaunting their sexuality in front of their kids. And there's no reason to make that kind of assumption. Yeah. They're going to be just as discriminant about their, their, you know, more private activities just as any other adult. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of ironic that um, sometimes people are worried if it's, uh, you know, a multi-adult household raising children, together um and they think oh my gosh what about the children um when we don't have any problem if the uh third adult is outsourced outsourced parenting if that third adult mm-hmm. is living in the home and receiving a salary as an au pair or a nanny no one questions the health of the child whereas if there's a third adult who is fully dedicated in love with the other two parents and fully, you know, devoted to this child's well-being, somehow that is um, damaging. And <laughs> so it's, it's an mm-hmm. ironic um, yeah, split that's there. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, kids have grown up in the last few decades in very unusual um, homes in, in unusual circumstances. Some grandparents are raising children, and and sometimes there's a couple of moms and no dad. And you know, I think kids, I think our our generation today has gotten used to pretty much everything being okay. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that it's again, it has to do with the communication, 
the the love that's there, how you know how everything is done in a healthy way, then why not, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think so, and and I you know just to to sort of follow on what Patricia was saying about we you know outsourcing is okay now. If you go back 150 or more years, it was much more common for people to be living in extended family situations. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go back even further in human history, it was, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And we've, you know, we, in the, in the 20th century, we went into this thing of the nuclear family and that's the only normal healthy way to, to raise a child. Almost child as possession in a way, private, private property Mm -hmm. or possession. Um, and that flies in the face of, of, you know, almost all of human history. It's just this very brief period where that was the ideal. Another thing I want to yeah. add is that the happier parents are, I'm going to say, I'm, I might be going out on a limb, they're going to be better parents. So <laughs> happiness mm-hmm. in their relationship is going to result in better parenting. So this is another reason to really, really make sure you are doing the relationship that is right for you. Yeah, that's well said and very much a stretch, Patricia. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many books on, on being a whole person and a whole parent, and, and I totally think that we have to work on ourselves Um, in order to be the best parents we can be. Um, Well, there's so much more we could say. I have so many more questions, but unfortunately we are at the end of our time here. Um, So can you tell our listeners how they can find your book and how they can find you guys? Sure. The book is available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookstores, etc. Our website is www.michaelsandjohnson.com. And we'll sign a book for you if you uh, if you purchase it from us. So that's www.michaelsandjohnson.com and is spelled out. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today and and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. And best of luck with with the book sales. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. All right. And thank everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. And I hope that you all go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day.